0: Hey everyone, welcome to a good football show. I am Matt Straup. It is Tuesday, March 22nd, and today we are rounding up and reacting to some recent fantasy news including the return of Lombardi Lenny to Tampa, a new quarterback in Atlanta, it is fine. Everything is totally fine. And changes of address for Robert Woods and Jameson Crowder. That and more coming up. As I'm joined by Kyle Dvorak and Denny Carter, who first of all did not get the memo that we're wearing blue T-shirts today. Denny, uh, it's going to be do- uh, your score is going to be docked immediately for that.
1: It's awkward because I ha- I have a blue T-shirt. I, I you know it's it's upstairs yeah. along with my other NBC Sports Edge. Uh, merchandise.
2: Yeah, to be clear, this isn't just blue T-shirts for the fun of it. We got a little bit of NBC merch sent our way, and that's why they're blue yes. T-shirts. We're not just like huge fans of the color blue.
0: Well, we are, but are yes, we? but beyond that, be-
1: well, I've always enjoyed blue. I will say, it looks good on you guys. I'm, Thank I'm you. a fan now. I've officially become a fan of blue.
0: But truly, the only thing more awkward than three guys in matching blue shirts <laughs> is two guys in matching blue shirts. I think we can <laughs> yeah. fairly, we can, we can safely say. Guys, quickly on a non-football note here the oscars are coming up and we actually have an oscars competition on the nbc sports predictor app which is why i bring this up um, more on that to come in a second but but first things first let's start at the baseline here i don't think we're operating with a lot of knowledge here about the year in movies danny just for starters do you know when the oscars
1: are the oscars are this coming sunday oh absolutely yeah i mean yeah do- you, wow you got it he has already infinitely more knowledge than i i have yeah yeah dominating if nothing else i'm plugged into the zeitgeist okay <laughs> straight you know straight my brain right into the zeitgeist i get it i know that the oscars are this on
0: okay all right well we're gonna find out how plugged in you are now because here's what we're gonna do guys before we we talk for just for a second about the actual competition red carpet pick em. I'm going to name the title of Best Picture nominee, the title, and you guys have to tell me what you think the plot is. Now, I should preface this by saying, basically, none of us have seen any of these movies, (laughs) including me. Uh, So the first one, okay, first title is The Power of the Dog. Hmm. Kyle, what is the plot of Best Picture nominee, The Power of the Dog? And we'll take a general description even, we'd be happy.
2: Power of the Dog. All right, so there's a man, right? Begins opening shot is a man overlooking the sunset, and he's got a dog. And through uh, a long and arduous journey, he has an ex-wife and kids, and he doesn't really understand the kids, right? Just doesn't – he's never really a – not not a bad father, just maybe not the best father he could have been, and he regrets that. And he uses said dog, the power of the dog, to help him reconnect with his kids. And he ends up uh, – he doesn't get back with the wife at the end. You know, that's not uh, – it's not the time for that anymore, but he, he makes amends with her, and that's that was the power of the dog all along, And but unfortunately, <laughs> as most dogs' movies end with, the dog passes, and he has to come to terms with that.
0: So, not having seen this movie either, you're, you're saying it's basically Marley and Me, uh, as far as I can tell. Is that is that the plot of Marley and Me? I assume Marley and Me is happy until
2: the end, and this movie uh-huh. is much more emotional, because the guy is, he begins a broken man.
1: I see. Kyle, have you considered writing a movie? Uh, well, I've considered it
2: and it turns out it's already written power of the dog. I shopped this one around and like, we already have that script.
1: It's, uh, I mean, that sounds perfectly feasible. If you would have told me that that's the actual plot, I would have been like, all right, it is. I assume. Sounds good. Denny, do you want to take a shot at the power of the dog before I tell you guys what it actually is? So dog backwards is God. <laughs> okay. And, Confirmed. and so we're talking about the, it's the power of God. This is a, this is a very religious movie. Um, and, uh, uh you know, uh, We'll, we'll go, you know, a man. Let's just say a man for now. We'll go with Kyle's uh, idea of a man uh, who who's in desperate uh, straits and in dire straits, really needs help with his life, and uh, he turns to the dog, uh, who is turns out God. Wow.
0: There you go, Denny. Have you considered writing a movie because that is potentially <laughs> goal.
2: That's like that's like Evan or Bruce Almighty. But instead of having Morgan Freeman as sort of the the omnipotent yeah. god, there is a dog in this movie probably also voiced by Morgan Freeman.
0: Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Here's what I can tell you guys. You both got correct that there is a man in this movie, okay. and that man is Benedict Cumberbatch. Uh, Kirsten Dunst is also in this movie. This movie is set in the Old West. Uh, if I'm led to believe what I saw in a trailer, it's 1925 or so. I'm.
2: They had dogs then.
0: I'm not exactly clear what the plot is from the trailer. Kyle, you might be right about a broken man. But I can tell you, Based on what I've seen, there are no dogs in this movie, not a single dog. There are horses, there are cattle, but no dogs. If you've seen this movie and you, and you saw a dog, okay, fine. But that's not part of the marketing of the movie. No dogs in the trailer. So I'm just saying, <laughs> just saying, okay. These Hollywood
2: writers have never really stepped foot on grass. They don't really understand apparently what even a dog is.
0: Right. Okay, l- let's try one more. Okay, Denny, our, our final
1: one here. What is the plot? Of the best picture nominee, Nightmare Alley. Uh, Nightmare Alley is uh, a, a prequel, uh, of course, to the Nightmare on Elm Street uh, movies from the '80s, uh, featuring Freddy Krueger. Um, this is the the origin story of Freddy Krueger, told uh, in a very serious way, um, and in a way that really caught the Academy's attention. And I, I, I sure. think, you know, that that many people will be, uh, uh, you know, interested in and and and, and maybe. Uh, urge to to go see the original movies after seeing the prequel, which is Nightmare Alley. Kyle, I I just want to say before we get to your guess at this, I like that,
0: first of all, I kind of like the concept. I like where you went with that. But I do like that part of the pitch just kind of became you saying, I think people are gonna people are gonna enjoy seeing this. People are gonna be interested in this movie,
1: and go see it. That's that's part of the synopsis. It's not gonna be one of the movies that people aren't interested in. It's gonna be a, a movie that people are interested in, and and that sure. you know that there's a huge difference between those two things. Uh, you know, you really you what you have to do you have to be kind of an expert on movies to know the difference. You know, I also like that this is Nightmare on Elm Street
0: prequel told in a serious way, as though the others are silly romp through. <laughs> Just kind of fun
1: family comedies. Well, uh, they, they are silly, uh, but but uh, no, but this is this is, not this is deadly serious, and it stars yeah. Robert England obviously as wow. uh, you know reprising his role. It's a tearjerker, uh, it, mostly.
0: Uh, okay, uh, Kyle, your best shot at the plot of Nightmare Alley. All
2: right, Nightmare Alley, as we all know, is not a. Prequel film. It is actually the beginning of a three part series, each of which Could be. is over three hours, which was a bold directorial choice. And it is set yeah. in 2097. It is a sci fi political thriller in which ourselves from the future, that is 3097, 1000 years later, come back in time to go to war with our 2097 selves. And, uh, but it's actually an allegory for the Red Scare, the whole thing. So,
0: <laughs> wow. Um, but very Lord of the Rings by that director to go three movies, three plus hours. Okay. I'm going to tell you the synopsis of this because I watched part of the trailer. I haven't seen the movie. Bradley Cooper plays an ambitious Carney with a talent for manipulating people. And I don't know about you guys, but I immediately thought Pat Doherty when I heard that. That, that was the first.
2: <laughs> I don't know what part of that sentence is most insulting. Carney manipulating. Like there are a lot of ways you could have insulted him with that one
0: sentence. Pat, I'm sorry. It was an easy, it was an easy shot to take without you here today. Uh, but that that's the um, that's the synopsis of Nightmare Alley. I, I, I'm going to say, I might see both these movies. I, I have no agenda to promote them, but I did watch a trailer and I'm intrigued by both, even though I don't know what's going on.
2: You said Bradley Bradley Cooper for Nightmare Alley.
0: Bradley Cooper, yeah.
2: I guess, Is it like yeah. a, maybe like a thriller type movie?
0: It's a thriller, big time. Actually, big you might time watch thriller. this. It yeah. sounds
2: good. I am I'm, I'm in for a, a dark Bradley Cooper thriller type movie. So I might yeah. go watch this.
0: Yeah, very very dark. Possibly even darker than Denny's Nightmare on Elm Street prequel, um, Nightmare Alley, the real thing. I told you it's a
1: tearjerker. It's not even you know, it's it's that's dark, true. but it's also it's emotional. It's much, that's what right. that's what people don't don't realize. That unsophisticated people will watch it and realize, oh this is a night this is a scary movie. It's not scary. It's just it's just a an emotional, heart-wrenching movie about a man who is killed and has claws for hands yeah the scariest part of the movie is
2: when you leave it and have to return to the real world look yourself in the mirror that's the scary part the humanity yeah. of it,
1: not the knife hands man right and and you realize that in in each of us is a little bit of freddy krueger and this is quickly turning to edward scissorhands i would say as well <laughs>
0: arguably, by the way, the name of the game on the NBC Sports predictor app is red carpet, Pick'em. the jackpot is $5,000. And you basically just pick the categories with a question at the end about which movie will have the most wins. So check that out. And don't forget Sunday, E's brunch at the Oscars pre show starts at 2pm Eastern 11 and Pacific with arrivals on E live from the red carpet at five Eastern 2pm Pacific. So let's get to the business at hand here, guys, some recent News found on the NBC Sports Edge player news page powered by RotoWorld, And what it means for the upcoming season, we're going to start in Tampa where Leonard Fournette has signed a three-year, $21 million deal to return to the box. Now, to me, Fournette feels like he's about 35, but turns out he just turned 27 in January. And last year, after a slow start, he really stepped into a workhorse role, a 10-game stretch where he averaged almost 20 touches per game. Danny, can we actually bank on similar volume for Fournette in 2022?
1: Yeah, I mean, barring injury, we should believe that he has the upside of a top five PPR back because, and that might be a little conservative. I I would say, you know, top top is probably top three because, uh, you know, because of the back, because of the pass catching role out of that backfield and also very little competition uh, Mm -hmm. for for touches. We know we know that when a when a running back gets that full workload in Tom Brady's backfield, it's hard to exaggerate how valuable. That can be. And right. there are more exciting players than Leonard Fournette. I think that we can safely say that. But, you know, thankfully, it it doesn't really matter if he's exciting. He's going to be catching all the passes. He's going to be he's going to be getting all the goal line carries in a highly productive offense um, where the band is all getting back together because Brady came out of retirement. It's it's uh, he'll probably be underdrafted if, if slightly this year.
2: Yeah. Like he's a player that if you were just to set down and like do projections on a spreadsheet, you're going to get him as a top three back every time. Like you just can't, because as Denny said, like we know Brady throws the running back, Brady offenses get to the red zone so much. And Leonard Fournette is the perfect size weight speed combination to just plow into the end zone. And he scored 10 times last year, didn't even play the full season. So you just cannot look at this backfield and say like, well, what are we going to do? Give 40% of the carries Keyshawn Vaughn? Obviously not. No Ronald Jones, no Giovanni Bernard. Like there's just no mathematical way you can look at this team knowing how Brady uses the running backs, how many points the Bucks are going to put on the board, and how little competition Leonard Fournette has and say like how can you possibly say he's not a top 5 back? You only look at his perceived talent which he has outperformed his perceived talent in back-to-back seasons. The stretch the playoff Lenny birth was incredible and then he really followed it up with a, an incredible almost full season. I think he played 14 games last year also looked great. So even now are sort of uh, down on him talent has kind of been wrong for two straight years. So if you can see the fact, this former first-round running back who was disappointing us with the Jacksonville Jaguars, if that's something you've heard yeah. before, maybe there's a trend going on in Jacksonville and not with Leonard Fournette, he could actually be very talented and in the great opportunity. Like, I, I kind of think he's, I hate it, I've, I was down on him for a long time, but he's probably going to be underdrafted. Like, it's really hard not to see him as, like, a top-five running back. He could straight up be the RB1.
0: To the point that you just made, he's had such a strange career because he was—he looked like such a beast in college. Yeah. And then he kind of like turned into at least our perception was he's kind of a plotter in the pros. And now he's kind of having this late 20s renaissance or breakout or whatever you want to call it, Danny. I mean, I think the, the theme I heard both of you say is he's going to be under drafted potentially because we perceive him as a little boring. Mm-hmm. So where should he be drafted as of now, assuming this backfield stays the same versus where you think he might be drafted?
1: Well, you know, before he signed in, in early best ball drafts, I believe he was going in the RB25 territory. And I think a, a lot of that was uh, the uncertainty that was kind of baked into that ADP. Like he's visiting the Patriots, mm-hmm. maybe some other teams with some holes in the backfield might might have given him a, a lot more money to come. And he probably would have disappointed in the in those roles just because the situation literally can't be better than it is for him in Tampa. Uh, yeah. So, so with that, with his signing, uh, with him signing this three-year deal, he's going to pop up to I don't know RB ten or so, um, which seems fine. I, I mean, I I guess I'd be happy to take him there, but he he can outperform that ADP. I think that's the the main the main point of of what we're saying. You know, with, with his with his workhorse role uh, and all the valuable touches. Only only Austin Eckler and Najee Harris had more expected points receiving last year than uh, mm-hmm. fournette crazy
2: i feel like people are gonna be like yeah he's like a low-end rb1 because he's leonard fournette i'm sure something <laughs> goes wrong and like something might go wrong who knows things go wrong yeah. with running backs all the time but like if you were just to put pencil to paper like he will come out as like rb567 and i'd probably be comfortable drafting him there like at that at the top end of the one two turn well people will probably take him towards that back end of that i'd i'd say like you mm. know i'd take him 10 11 12 and people will probably be looking to take him like middle of the second like it feels weird because we've backed on Leonard Fournette for years and now he's just like he's probably just good the answer is probably that
1: we were wrong and Jacksonville tainted him in a way that he has recovered from that well he and he also he had a good season one good season in Jacksonville remember when he caught all those passes and yeah, like a, like 70 something passes 77 receptions maybe yeah. 76 or something like that with Bortles under center like that, that that came out of nowhere those were fun oh. days.
0: oh it, it was great it was great Meanwhile, I, I blacked out for about a five-day stretch, but I've awakened, and somehow Matt Ryan is in Indianapolis, oh. and Marcus Mariota is now the quarterback of the Atlanta Falcons. Uh, our crew covered the Ryan side of this on Monday's episode, so check that out. But l- let's look at this, because we have to, from the Falcons' side of things. Kyle, do you think there's a path here for Marcus Mariota to be, let's say, a viable QB2 or streaming option with Arthur Smith co- Arthur Smith coaching him in Atlanta?
2: Yeah, QB2 is not uh, particularly high bar to clear, but yeah, especially because of this rushing <laughs> production. Like, it's, you know, you're not saying much, but we are not asking for much. He's not going to be drafted as a QB1, so you're just saying, can he clear the bar of where his ADP probably falls? He could. I think he mostly just gets there via rushing because I don't think this is going to be an incredibly explosive offense. Like the line has issues. The receiving core literally doesn't exist. Like they have like four employed receivers and they're all practice squad players. So they're going to need to address that via the draft. It'll probably just be rookies. Obviously, they're not going to have any established veteran talent. And Cordell Patterson even kind of got misused down the stretch where he stopped being that hybrid weapon so i have questions about the player usage about the player talent i really think if he clears the adp bar that will be set for him it'll be because of his rushing which is pretty much as we know the cheat code and people forget these are really good rushers putting up like consistently like 500 yards he can put up 500 yards on the ground in the season that's not nothing that means a lot for a quarterback who otherwise were not that interested in to me though i do feel like he has basically just been taken as the jared goff of this team Good enough to let you see what talent you have. Like, if you had a truly atrocious quarterback, we probably wouldn't have gotten to see how good Amon Ross St. Brown was. Goff is perfectly confident enough that a good player like Amon Ross St. Brown can still get there. That's what we're going to see with, like, a Kyle Pitts or, you know, the rookie they bring in eventually. I hope hope to God it's a first-round rookie. That he'll be good enough. Marcus Mariota will be good enough to get that guy the ball, and if he's good, he'll make do with it. But outside of that, I still think I'll probably be pretty, uh, pretty flat on this offense.
1: I mean, who is he throwing to? You know, besides Pitts, I think that that's the the main concern. But the, the the rushing is where it's at. with With, with Mariota, uh, he had in twenty sixteen he had sixty rushing attempts in fifteen games. That happened again in twenty seventeen. In twenty eighteen he had sixty five attempts in just thirteen games. You know, so he he's willing to to take off from the pocket. Hopefully, the Falcons maybe can can utilize that mobility in a positive way. Maybe get some uh, some design rushes for Mariota, who. Uh, you know, seemed to be, and you know, not exactly a film grinder, but seemed to be a very aggressive rusher uh, during his, mm-hmm. uh, uh, you know, few games with the the Raiders when he was brought in as a, um, you know, as a wildcat option uh, for Derek Carr. So, I, I I have some hope that he can be useful in spots for fantasy. Uh, overall, it's a it's a bridge quarterback situation. You know, the Falcons signed him to a deal that uh, is reportedly a one, you know, it's a one year deal with two years technically on it, but. um,
2: Second year is a team option that he probably doesn't play good enough to achieve. Exactly. I mean,
1: he would have to play really well in order to be starting for Atlanta next year. But Matt, as a, as a long time Falcons fan, I wanted to ask you, how are you feeling? I feel very strange it feels like it's nightmare alley. Basically.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It's just kind of how I feel. (laughs) (laughs)
2: <laughs> which which Nightmare Alley is it, though? Is it the sci-fi thriller or is it the, the prequel, the tearjerker? It's Actually, it's the tearjerker, it is.
0: Yeah, it's the tearjerker. Sorting through a lot of feelings here. <laughs>
2: this makes sense for the team, though. Like, they were not, not going to win with Matt Ryan. They certainly weren't going to yeah. win with Deshaun Watson because they were going to give up every asset they had to acquire him and leave him with a decrepit roster. Like, this is what you have to do. I think the Lions probably did things right where they didn't have the roster to win with Stafford. We saw that year in and year out. So they blow it yeah. all up and hopefully they run good in the draft. This was ultimately, I think, the right move by the Falcons. You want a quarterback who probably gets you to like, like is not elevating your already bad roster past five wins. He puts you right. in contention to get a good pick while still letting you test out the receivers you draft. I, this is the smart move. Like I think more teams should be more comfortable being bad for a year or two.
0: I think it is too, and and I'm not a huge fan of the let's try to kind of win and rebuild on the fly because that's yeah. kind of a joke, right? You're 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 fooling yourself, I guess. Just the thing, and I'm not, I'm sure I'm far, very far from the first person to say this, obviously, but like the Falcons, kind of, I mean, the Falcons could have gotten more than a third rounder for Matt Ryan if they played this differently. So th- that's the aspect of it that's frustrating. But I want to ask about a point that kyle brought up a minute ago and that is okay we joke about the falcons weapons it's it's not pretty and in theory i guess they could have a first round receiver added in this draft they
2: better it would be incredible like they, you're right though. yeah like, you have a lot of needs <laughs> is that, that, well yeah they that's need cor- they, they need Ryan.
0: everything yeah. they need literally everything they need a quarterback now they need uh edge rushers they need offensive line help they, they need literally everything so i don't know what they're going to do second round receiver maybe at worst but they do still have Kyle Pitts and Cordero Patterson at who they arguably don't know how to use or change their mind how to use. You, do you agree with Kyle that Mariota is going to be good enough to let those guys get there, whatever there
1: is for them? For, for Pitts, I would say probably, just because Pitts is, you know, although our expectations meant that Kyle Pitts, I should say my expectations meant that Kyle Pitts' rookie season was kind of disappointing. He still, he still had a really good rookie season, and there's no reason... To think that you know a, a second year blow up can't happen, uh, even with Mariota under center. For for Patterson though, and I don't know. I, I I I do have this sense, and I'm look, I'm a CPAT truther from way back. Sure. Okay. The ask sure. anyone, ask anyone. But you know, he wore down uh, last year. And I I I actually remember seeing some quotes in the in the Atlanta media where Patterson's like, Hey man, this, this running back thing's different. I don't know what to tell yeah. you. <laughs> like I'm I'm getting beat up out there. This is not like playing receiver. Uh, and, I, you know, and the team knew that. And then by week 13, 14, whatever, Arthur Smith was out there saying we need to manage Patterson's workload. We can't really use him as an every down back. And that, that makes sense. You know, that makes sense according to his history and his usage. So I, I do feel like Patterson's on the way to being one of the more overdrafted players in 2022, um, uh, unless they really carve out like a big receiving role for him. I mean, they'd be smart to use him as a wide receiver a
0: yeah. lot more. Oh yeah, but, sure. Uh, he looked good in that role, uh, plenty. But, anyways, in other quarterback news, James Winston has a new two-year, twenty-eight, $28 million dollar deal with the Saints. Kyle, I'm, I'm not sure too many of us will really be trying to talk ourselves into drafting Winston in two quarterback leagues this upcoming season. But I mean, what does this mean for the New Orleans offense to you, big picture? Like, are, are you excited about drafting anyone with the Saints as part of the Saints offense this upcoming season?
2: Yeah, I think it was on a Twitter space. I don't remember, but I was talking with Corrine about this. And you look at Winston's numbers last year. I mean, they're like, you know, he was small sample stuff, obviously, is part of the yeah. culprit for it. But like an 8% touchdown rate cut down on his interceptions, I believe, was a career low interception rate and a slightly below average sack rate as well. He was doing what we always envisioned the idealized James Winston to do. Uh, Mm -hmm. The big awesome throws, the fun stuff, the touchdowns without any of the bad. The classic, you know, I wish your strategy was to be more good more often and don't do the bad things, don't have any of the drawbacks. We saw that last year with the caveat that they didn't throw that much. It's easy to pick your spots really well, to throw touchdowns, throw big plays when you are never really, uh, you know, you only put yourself in position to make the good plays But that means the expenses, like, you don't take any risk. You have to take some risks. I think the the fact they were so run-heavy, one of the run-heaviest teams in the league, even with Jameis Winston, tells us that, like, yeah, they understood he was still this limited player. The way you take away his interceptions is you just don't throw that much, unfortunately. I think Crane was right, probably, to the extent that they were run heavy with him. His efficiency was, is obviously, is literally, I think an 8% touchdown rate, it is unsustainable. Even if he did fix some of his mistakes, the team has an identity, clearly, as a run-first team. I don't think even getting Michael Thomas back will drastically shift things, although it does make things a little interesting, right? If they get Michael Thomas back, uh, maybe mm-hmm. they add you know a more exciting receiver at any point in the draft would be ideal, hopefully earlier. Sure, their pass rate comes up, but they seem to have solidified themselves as a team that just wants to run the football. And you have Alvin Kamara, that is uh, perfectly understandable, and a really good offensive line as well. So, I think I could see myself like stacking. I think I'd go either all in on them, saying like, "Yeah, in 10 percent of my best ball teams, I want I want a season where Jameis Winston gets that 5,000 yards." And it's a perfectly fine risk because we want to play not only for first in a 12-team league, but then leagues and leagues after that, to, you know, win the million-dollar prize or whatever. But for the most part, they're Prob- most outcomes have them playing their run first style, which they've been successful with backed by a good defense. And they're not an exciting fantasy team. I think there's a small tail end where Jameis Winston stays not as efficient, but efficient. And they recognize that. I mean, they paid him. It's not a ton of money because quarterbacks make a lot of money, but they paid him in uh, you know, in a real sense, many millions of dollars. So I would hope they pass more. Do I think they really become a, even close to a pass first team? Probably not. It's probably something that, yeah, I, I have a few Jameis Winston, Ah, uh, Michael Thomas, and hopefully a rookie stacks Adam Troutman. Love to see a good Adam Troutman breakout. But in general, if you're just asking me if they are a fun, good fantasy offense, most of the time it's probably not.
1: you are still holding out for Troutman, and, and we will be until the year 2045. You know, Winston signing with with New Orleans is, is I guess, is fine for fo- for real football. Mm-hmm. Uh, for fantasy, it strikes me as boring. Uh, you know, it, he he still he still had his issues last year. Uh, you know, in before he tore his ACL. Uh, You know, he had 14 touchdowns, the three interceptions, which is, you know, really nice change, obviously from his Tampa days. Um, But he was 28th in completion rate over expected. Uh, He had the 10th highest EPA per drop back in those games. Uh, So it was, there are still some signs that he, he can, you know, Winston can be managed, but only to Mm -hmm. an extent and. Uh, I think, you know, if the wheels came off with some injuries this year and they were forced to go pass heavy, it could be uh, a major issue for the Saints. Now, from a fantasy standpoint, that might actually be fun. The the game I always think about with
0: Winston from last year, and I don't want to put too much in one game, but his week one, 148 passing yards and five touchdowns (laughs) on 20 attempts just kind of sums up what we were talking about with how
1: sort of somehow he produced, but it just didn't feel right at all times. Like, yeah. You know, I covered that game for us and they were running the ball on like third and 12. <laughs> yeah, like it wasn't even they weren't even trying to score points in the second half.
0: Yeah. Uh, good times there. And, and by the way, to the point you made, Kyle, it's it's so strange that we still are talking about Michael Thomas as like a hypothetical after what feels like two years, basically. I mean, is he even on your radar in, in terms of? fantasy right now like where is he on your radar how far off it or on it is he
2: yeah it's super interesting because we talk about this this is sort of like the running back syndrome where like every like like last year i was really convinced that like ezekiel elliott he's still the workhorse back for a really good dallas team and uh like football is a very violent and aggressive sport that takes a, a, an extreme toll on your body and we see it year in and year out last year's best player two years ago's best player it's just gone like out of the league in time. And I'm not saying mm-hmm. that is for sure a thing with Michael Thomas, but like we cannot at all rule that out. So I definitely think he still is on the radar, especially because they have such a void of targets to fill. They just have no one else to throw to the very Falcons ask, but with a Michael Thomas potentially in the waiting. Uh, so yeah, I think he has to be on the radar Ironically, it doesn't really fit with what you would think Jameis Winston does. Jameis Winston was somewhat different last year with not the mistakes. But Michael Thomas, like literally nicknamed Slant Boy, is not what you would want with Jameis Winston. If Jameis Winston is fixing his style and conforming to the weapons he has, which is really just one other than like Alvin Kamara, yeah, you could still get an incredible like high reception, good PPR, great PPR season for Michael Thomas. But like I would probably not take him. What do you think? Like wide receiver, like 17, 18, 19 maybe is fair.
1: You're never going to get him there. You don't think so? No, I I, I think he'll be going in the 10.
2: Yeah. Oh, I mean, man. he has such he has such a name brand cachet that people just want to have faith. But it has been
0: a considerable time since we've seen him be productive. Yeah, I'm staying far away. I can't even imagine talking myself into that what you're just talking about, Denny. What? Oh, taking him at 10. Uh, yeah. Barbecue, 10 to 12. Even when Kyle was saying 17, 18, <laughs> 19, I was like, "Ooh, I don't know. I don't know. So still a lot of good receivers
1: there at that point. I mean, people, people love. Thinking, remembering back to Michael Thomas, a million slant passes from Drew Brees. It's sure that's probably not walking through the door. I I have to say, as the as the founding member, probably not the founding member, but one of the most outspoken Deontay Hardy uh, advocates. And his name is Deontay Hardy now, not Deontay Harris. You remember you may remember him as Harris, but he changed his last name. This offseason, uh, he's the downfield speed demon for New Orleans. Sure. Very efficient guy. Uh, kind of exciting. I wrote him up a little bit in my wide receiver and review piece a couple weeks ago on the site. Uh, So if, you know, if Winston is allowed to cut it loose a little bit, could be could be fun for Hardy. All right. We have
0: a few more topics to hit, a few more player moves. But first, we we're going to take a quick break. The madness is upon us. Get an Edge Plus annual subscription now to unlock our college basketball DFS and betting tools with game predictions, player prop predictions, and more. Get ready to cut down the nets using promo code brackets 20. Plus, you'll get every tool for every sport with your Edge Plus subscription, including our new fantasy baseball draft guide powered by RotoWorld. Go to NBCSportsEdge.com slash Edge Plus and use promo code brackets 20 at checkout to find your edge. Guys, we had some. Wide receiver news over the weekend. Robert Woods is headed to Tennessee. I'm told. Now, on the surface, Denny, this is a player surrounded by fantasy red flags. He's coming off a torn ACL. He's about to turn 30, and he's changing teams. Other than that, though, <laughs> everything is completely fine. What is your
1: What is your outlook uh, for Robert Woods in 2022? Uh, don't forget that he's on the run heaviest team oh. in the history of any sport. Uh, so you know it's that's four. You know the pass rate over expected for Tennessee was, I believe, the the lowest in the league last year, and was consistently so. Um, They don't pass ever. It doesn't matter if they're down by three scores; they're not going to pass. So uh, they can support one uh, fantasy relevant receiver, and that will be AJ Brown. And Robert Woods will not be fantasy relevant. And that's the end of that.
2: I'd say, like, I can't really give much of a contrary opinion. Maybe I I won't say he won't be fantasy relevant. We know that these Tennessee teams, while they don't pass a lot, they do have capability of throwing at very high touchdown rates. We've seen that consistently with Tannehill, but like, you're just praying that you get like the nine touchdown season from Robert Woods, which like he's a good red zone weapon. He's really good. Like everywhere he's a good blocker. He is like mm-hmm. surprisingly, I mean, if you you know look at his game logs, it might not surprise you is a good rusher too, which is awesome. I, I love wide receivers that run the football, even though it's such a niche, dumb thing to like, but he's not going to be a giant target hog. Cause they have that in AJ Brown. And even if he were, that doesn't always equate to a ton of targets because it's the Tennessee Titans. If you're drafting him, you're really just praying that his talent pushes him to nine or 10 receiving touchdowns. It could happen, but like I don't see him drawing a lot of targets. I'm never going to be in the the business of counting for high efficiency just as the bar to clear. So I won't really be interested in him either.
1: We close that book pretty quickly. Danny, you got an additional comment, though. The only thing, I'm sure Robert Woods is a swell guy, by the way. I have nothing against him personally. The only path to him being like an every week fantasy starter is either you're playing in a 20-team league or uh, A.J. Brown struggles with injuries again that that that's the
0: other one okay i mean overall though it sounds like this is the guy who in your home league when someone takes him in the middle rounds just based on his name you're like <laughs> fist pumping like you're pumped that you're yeah. pumped that someone made that pick
2: yeah we for- we forget that Wide I know Denny mentioned this, but I just want to hit on it again. Wide receivers changing teams up until what was two years ago—that Diggs and DeAndre Hopkins moved teams. Up until then, it was a death sentence. It meant you were done. Mm-hmm. We were not—you uh, know—smart people at least weren't drafting you. And then we got spoiled by two receivers in pretty unique situations. Like it was mm-hmm. just at the time we were starting to get players really just like forcing their hand to move stuff, especially with like Diggs just didn't want to play there anymore. But for the most part, right. players changing teams are changing teams because their previous team did not want them. And there's a reason they did not want them. You get to see a player every single day practice games and you say nope let's ship him off and for nothing what's a six round pick not this coming draft to the next draft it was really just that we don't want to pay his salary we we'll want to give that to someone else so that tells us a lot that is information to work with even if it doesn't come in the form of stats and that's been the consistent thread up until like the the hopkins digs off season that the reason these players are changing teams is because their previous team didn't really have an interest in them and that tells you a lot so yeah it's uh robert woods like denny said I'm sure he's a great guy just from the the, the stats he's going to output, I will not be drafted.
0: Robert Woods in a past life played for the Bills. Uh, Jameson Crowder is now headed to the Bills on a one year deal. Now, we will talk about the Bills side of things in a minute, because there are a lot of moving parts there among those wide receivers. But first, Kyle, arguably, most importantly, does this portend the the inevitable Elijah Moore breakout in New York? Was that happening anyway, even before Crowder uh, left town?
2: I almost want to say, and I think I'd be in the minority of this, that it wasn't happening anyway because the reason he had the flashes we saw is inexplicably because Mike White and Josh Johnson and Joe (laughs) Flacco got under center. Like his yards per target when catching passes or attempting to catch passes that were very often not on frame from Zach Wilson was atrocious. The reason we have good memories of the Elijah Moore rookie season is because he sometimes got the chance to play with other quarterbacks. Does that mean Zach Wilson's gonna be as bad as he was last year in the upcoming season? No, it would be like a statistical mm-hmm. anomaly to be that bad in back-to-back seasons. I think we'll be better, but it's not like we had this whole great season. It was a few flashy games that did not come with the quarterback that will be under center. I think really what this just means is barring a, a new signing or more importantly probably a drafting, probably see more of like Braxton Berrios in the slot who I like Braxton Berrios. He's a really good returner, good with the ball in his hands like wide receiver five, six, though. It's still not that incredible. I don't know. Uh, You know, I still think there's perfectly reasonable to say Zach Wilson will be better next year. I don't know if I'm going to be all in as like the market was when we got so much steam at the end of summer on Elijah Moore and Zach Wilson just being the cheapest, best QB one, wide receiver one stack you could find, right? I-, I think if we get that kind of hype again, I'd probably lean back on a quarterback and wide receiver tandem, really, that was not good last year.
1: That would be tough to go two years in a row with going, hey, you know what? Zach Wilson and Elijah Moore are gonna get it done this year. Like it's uh, <laughs> my my best ball teams can report that that didn't didn't work out the way we we thought it would. Uh, my interns have been fired because of it. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, Elijah Moore, you know, was really exciting when he when he was fully healthy and uh, he's gonna have a, 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 probably a lot more opportunity. Uh, this coming season, unfortunately, Joe Flacco won't be starting for the Jets. Can we not hang
0: our hats on Week Thirteen, guys? Zach Wilson starting, Elijah Moore twelve
1: targets, six catches, seventy-seven yards, and a touchdown. I do, I do recall that. Um, I recall, I recall a lot of meat left on that bone, too.
2: Yeah, I was going to say that's only a fifty percent catch rate. I don't think that's a great yards per target either. Oh,
0: okay, fair you said, enough.
2: You say sixty-seven.
0: Six six for 77. Oh, 77. So and he score.
2: almost might have cleared um, eight yards of target. Oh, no, he didn't come close. 6.4. <laughs> Not the six yards of target is the end-all be-all. I'm just saying. Uh, he, basically, we yeah. We need Zach Wilson to get better, right? Because I love Elijah Moore. I think we saw him when he yeah. got the ball in his hands. It was incredible. And and Zach Wilson can get better. But that is a starting point for Elijah Moore to be good this year. It just has to happen.
0: And it was a five-game stretch for Elijah Moore where he had twenty-eight catches, three hundred ninety-two yards, five touchdowns to refresh people's memory. And in fairness, three of those good games were not with Zach Wilson. One, one, the one not great game he had in there, or not even good game, was with Zach Wilson. And then he had the one I just mentioned with Zach Wilson. So, okay, thanks for uh, thanks for bringing me down there, guys. I appreciate Sorry it. Sorry about that. Um, reality check, reality check. Uh, let's look at the Buffalo side of this thing, though. So, Crowder, uh maybe opens up more opportunity for elijah moore We're worried about the zach wilson thing but going to buffalo i wonder how this complicates things obviously cole beasley's gone but denny i mean do you worry at all about crowder's arrival when it comes to gabriel davis who last we saw was having just one of the greatest playoff receiving yeah. games ever or isaiah mckenzie who we saw flash i think one time last season that that one explosive
1: performance right. what, what do you make of crowder arriving in buffalo I, I don't think that they would have signed Crowder if they were all in on Isaiah McKenzie as an every down slot receiver. That's pretty clearly not going to happen now, uh, barring a Crowder injury or something this off season or the in training camp. Uh, Crowder, I think, should be assumed to be the starting slot receiver. And the thing about Jameson Crowder, like, kind of like Leonard Fournette, not exciting, but mm-hmm. gets it done. Like, he, like when he's afforded opportunity, when he's running a lot of routes, and when he's seeing tar- targets... Uh, you know, which he should. He, he, I think, he still can as the as the third option in this passing game, uh, because it's a, such a pass-heavy Buffalo offense. Um, I think I think he could be kind of under, underrated, especially for what what does Pat Darty call it? Uh, PPR scams? As a, yeah, <laughs> he, he, he Onsy yeah. schemes. Crowder's always been a PPR scam. I think he can continue that in in Buffalo's pass-heavy attack. I'm not not excited about Crowder catching passes from Josh Allen.
2: I think I'm less excited though. Like these Josh Allen receivers or tight ends and running backs, like, will randomly just pop up with like seven touchdown seasons. Like, I think, I think McKenzie had like a five touchdown season two years ago. Uh, we've seen like, you know, great tight end, like, just random performances from even like the backup tight ends, just catching oddball touchdowns. That would be to me the path. For uh redemption for Jamison Crowder is again the fluky touchdown season, which I think is I talked about with Robert Woods. You have to pay way less for Jamison Crowder to get like a similar target role in terms of, yeah, short, third in the totem pole. But as Denny said, like the pass happiest offense in terms of relative to expectation in the NFL, most likely. So you get to pay less by a lot for probably similar odds at a good touchdown season, even though sure. Like Jamison Crowder probably not good as as good as Robert Woods, but it's the golf that massive and one of them gets Josh Allen, like yeah, I'd be perfectly fine like stacking up Josh Allen with you know a Gabe Davis and a uh, and a Jamison Crowder, and I don't think this has any effect on Gabe Davis. I think Denny nailed it. This is specifically I don't want to say an indictment, just the fact that yeah, you're not going to get a, a full Isaiah McKenzie three down, you know, or th- every down role, right? He's a mm-hmm. special teams player too. He's a returner, so let him do that. Well, coming in as the team's fourth receiver, he was good in that role. He probably sticks in that role where Crowder ends up mixing in as the the primary slot option.
0: Danny, uh, last off season, as I'm sure you remember, you became enamored of a certain Buffalo bills receiver named Emmanuel Sanders. I'm wondering, I just, I felt, I felt like I heard a glimmer there, a glint of intrigue from you where maybe we can maybe get that same excitement
1: going for Jameson Crowder during this long off season. Is it possible? We're working on it. Uh, you know, I'm coming <laughs> okay. up with a an 11 point plan on how to okay. uh, steam up Jameson Crowder as a uh, as a as a sexy pick this summer, I'm kidding. He'll, he'll never he'll never be that. Uh, just you know, for the record, Manny Sanders was was looking okay for a while, and then his legs yeah. kind of gave out. So I you know. he had his
0: moment. He had some moments. There were some moments there, and I could see the same thing happening for Jameson Crowder now. Most of those in a standard fantasy league would happen on my bench with him on my yeah, bench, right. but I think I think you know he could. He could have some moments. Last topic here, guys. Rashad Penny, speaking of moments, is back with the Seahawks on a one-year, $5.75 million deal. He, of course, had that monster finish to last season, 671 rushing yards and six touchdowns over his last five games. Kyle, obviously, the offensive environment in Seattle is way worse than it was. Uh, Looking at this thing, could any of last season's Rashad Penny glory carry over? Are we forgetting that ever happened? Did that even happen? Uh, Where are we with this whole thing?
2: It definitely happened. I think.
0: Okay. I think it definitely
2: almost <laughs> certainly happened. Uh, it seems so surreal that a player who yes. could be marred by injuries and even when healthy, not really put into a meaningful role, could break out in such a massive way late in the season. And he had like a uh, record setting efficiency, like crazy breakaway run rate numbers. Like I think like over yeah. six or at six yards per carry, which is like just unreal. Like Alan Kamara doesn't do that, let alone Rashad Penny, who took four years to finally break out. I'm glad he got uh, got the bag. In terms of uh, his, his production, how can you possibly bank on him being hyper-efficient on a team that just lost Russell Wilson? A team that's offensive yeah. line isn't that good. They also lost their starting right tackle. Like, or Actually, he's visited the Broncos, but it does look like he'll sign there, I believe. So I, I just can't see a way that this team fosters an environment that is good
1: for what is probably a, a regression candidate at the running back position. Rashad Penny averaged more yards after contact in the final six weeks of the season than any other running back averaged yards per carry. Okay. Like that, that's, that's (laughs) That's out of control. You know, I mean, he's, he is, he's good. Like, and we all, we, we always knew that he was good. It's just a matter of staying healthy and getting a a a decent role in that offense. There there are a lot of obstacles to him becoming like an every, every week kind of fantasy player, including Chris Carson, who, if he's back, you know, the P Carol loves Chris Carson. The organization loves Chris Carson. Uh, Michael Sean Duggar from the athletic who covers the Seahawks has said a couple of times this off season, if Carson is back, you know, from the chronic neck injury that, that he had yeah. um, expect him to be the presumed starter. Like, like, and, and that's something we don't, I don't like to hear that. Like that doesn't make sense to me, but it is worth listening to um, and, and worth kind of filing away. So uh, I, I do, I do think Penny has, has some major issues in a, in what will be, you know, probably one of the worst offenses in, in the NFL. I mean, I, and the yeah. worst offenses in the NFL don't produce great running backs. This just, that's just not the way it works.
0: And I mean, I think, I think the Carson thing is real. If he's healthy, like that, that all sounds like valid info, but I mean, yeah, it's almost like you'd be okay taking a flyer on Penny. If not for the offense, it's like too, you know, even if he gets his shot again, w- what will the offense even afford him? But yeah. he was the very definition of a league of, of a league winner last year, <laughs> against all odds. Yes. Well, we'll always have the memories. We will.
1: We will That's have. What those it's memories.
0: about at
2: the end of the day for us. It it's is about things in the past. We it just was, like living yeah. in those
1: times. It was the waiver wire picks we made along the way uh, that that we'll remember always, including including Rashad Penny, the best run, best running back in the NFL for six weeks. On that, on our way to
0: the win in the three-four consolation game to nail uh, down third place.
1: <laughs> people say that, but wait, there's got to be some people who picked him up and wrote him all the way to a title. Oh, I'm sure. I'm it sure. It wasn't me. I just want to say it wasn't me. Did, yeah. <laughs> did did not happen for me with Rashad
0: Penny either. All right, that is going to do it for us on this episode. Don't forget to subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, wherever you listen. Take a minute to rate and review us as well and keep it tuned to the NBC Sports Edge player news page powered by Roto World for All, the off-season news you need. i Want to say thanks to everyone for listening and for watching live. Stick around for our film review right after this. We're going to be reviewing every Best Picture uh, contender in great detail. Uh, A couple hours should be an exciting time. Danny, Kyle, thank you, guys. I will talk to you soon. See you.